Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Last week, I ended with a story of... uh, We had this colt, and two weeks ago, I told the story about putting the first ride on her one Sunday afternoon, and then the next day, I took her out into a 17-section pasture and put the second ride on her, gathering cattle, which was not the best idea I've ever had. That's right. And uh, your dog didn't have to say amen. (laughs) Joking, joking. Uh, And so, anyway, she, she ended up being a pretty good horse, but like years later... I mean, this horse had never bucked a day in her life. And, and one day we were out at the ranch, me and my dad both lived out there and, uh, he come hobbling in and I asked him, I said, what's the matter with you? Don't ever ask a cowboy what's the matter with them or they'll show you. So he dropped his britches. I was like, Whoa, but he had a bruise on the inside of his thigh that was bruised to the outside of his thigh. I mean, it's like it went through his leg. And I said, did you get kicked? He goes, no, spicy bucked me off. I was like, that horse has never bucked a day in, his li- in her life. What'd you do to her? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't ask if he was okay, because that's, that's not what we do, right? You know, what'd you do? And uh, he said, man, I, I was just out checking some cows, and uh, I was trotting along and decided to kick her into a lope. And, you know, they'll kind of gather themselves up, you know, going from a trot and then kind of pick their legs up to, to go into the left or right lead, whichever one you ask for. And he said, her front end came up and she went and whenever her head come down, it just kept going down and disappeared. And he said, she bucked me off in about two jumps hard. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And he goes, me too. You're riding her tomorrow. <laughs> like what? So I was like, okay. So we were going to go check on the cattle again. So me and my brother and my dad, we all saddled up that morning. We were going down Kinosa draw and, uh, Dad and Jason were, were just kind of moseying along, and I said, I, I, I'll see y'all on the backside. I'm going to see if I can't get some of this out of her just in case. So, man, I kicked her into a long trot, and, I mean, she, she did good. She just went right along like she had a 100 other times. And uh, then I thought, you know, by this time she's kind of breathing hard. You can see a little bit of sweat starting to, to come up. So I was like, all right, well, now's the time. It's now or never. So I... Gigged her just a little more and leaned forward just to ask her for a little more. And sure enough, man, those front legs come up. And when her head come down, it disappeared. And she bogged her head. And I mean, just went to pitching. The first jump, you know, she bogged her head. And then whenever she came up again, that first jump was so high and so hard that whenever my neck snapped, my hat came off. And I, I don't think any of you have ever seen me in a straw hat because I don't like straw hats because I can't keep them on. I don't care if it's winter or summer or whenever. And so for, for me to lose a hat is, is, is pretty bad. And it wasn't windy. I mean, to have your neck snap like a bullwhip doesn't feel good. But it was in that time that I was reminded of something by them old timers that has been... It, it's tested, it's tried, it's true, and it goes against every single thing that you want to do in a situation when a horse is just absolutely breaking in two with you. So I thought that I would try out and see if these old timers knew what they was talking about. When she took that second jump, 
uh, I got rather aggressive <laughs> with uh, with my go with, with my go hooks <laughs> and uh, and with the end of a bridle rein because you, you see when a horse is pitching with you your your natural inclination is to pull them up and stop them okay when you pull a horse up and stop it you're actually granting it power you know the, those horses that buck so hard in the rodeos they're not covering a lot of distance but you know w- once the flank strap comes off even if they are bucking you know they're just kind of running and doing this that's not hard to ride i'm not saying it's easy but it's not as hard and so whenever she started that i was like get her moving get her moving so i spurred her and i over and undered her and she took the, the, the third jump just wasn't quite as bad. And then I got her moving and I, I got her lined out. And uh, so anyway, we, we loped way out there and, and come back. I made a big circle to go get my hat. And uh, anyway, we got back and, and, and I, got off, uh, I got off of her and I just loved on her. Just loved on her. She did good. And of course, during, during that long lope, you know, I had, I had stopped her and spun her around and kicked her into a lope again and nothing ever happened. And so uh, anyway, I, I got there and I got off to get my hat and uh, I picked it up and I put it on right as my dad and my brother rode up. And my dad was like, see, I told you. It's like he was happy or something. He's like, she bucked you off hard? I said, she didn't buck me off. She knocked my hat off, but she, did, she didn't get me. He's like, man, what did you do? And I told him. And he said, man, that, that, that's easier said than done. So what, what does a horse, what does spurring a bucking horse have to do with reverence and obedience? Because last week I said, next week come back to find out how reverence and obedience changed my outlook on everything from the back of a horse. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We've been talking about those seven things. Now, it starts off with faith, right? It starts off with faith. That is not one of them. Because if you don't start with that, none of the others matter. Okay? None of the others matter. But when you have faith and then you start building upon that foundation of add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. And that's what we covered last week. And then it says, and to perseverance, uh, godliness, godliness. Now, does that mean that we walk around acting like we're God? Is that exhibiting godliness? No, not by any means. Godliness means reverence and obedience. Reverence and obedience. What is reverence? You know, I mean, just a a generic definition of reverence might be a revealing of what is truly important to you. What do you revere? What do you hold in reverence what is the most important thing in your life and it's sad to say that a lot of us christians say that god is the most important thing in our lives but but our actions on a day-to-day basis don't necessarily say the same things that our mouth does because if god is 
re- is you show, I don't know how to say that. If you have a lot of reverence for God, there you go. There you go. Then you will obey. Obedience. It's doing what God says, the way he says to do it, when he says to do it, and how he says to do it. That, that, that's what godliness is, man. You know, if, if Jesus, Jesus did it this way, this is, the, this is the way he thought, this is what he did, this is how he did things. He was our example when, and, and, and he was God, right? So a form of godliness is doing things the way Jesus did them. Of doing what God says, the way he says to do it, when he says to do it, and how he says to do it. Godliness is reverence and obedience. See, reverence without obedience is a foolish lie. Because a lot of people say, oh yeah, you know, God's the most important thing in my life. But, but if you're not doing what Jesus says to do, then, then, then we're probably fooling ourselves. You know, one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is when Jesus says, you know, do you love me? Yes, 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 I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We, we tell Jesus all the time, we love you, we love you, God, we love you, we love you, we love you. And then Jesus asks a question and he says, if you love me, then why don't you do what I say? See, we, we claim reverence, but we leave out the obedience. But obedience without reverence is fear. Obedience without reverence is just fear. And, and, and I'm willing to say, especially in my own life, that we actually obey our fears a lot more often than we obey God. Because what is God's most repeated command in the entire Bible? Do not be afraid. And most of us make decisions based upon our fear, not based on the way God says to do something. God says, do not be afraid. He says to love. He says to do this. He says to do that. He says to do this. And all of it, everything he says to do forms us into his image. Like I said, man, it doesn't make, it doesn't change uh the fact that you're still going to have hard days, but whenever you do things the way God says to do them, your hard days won't decrease, but hard days won't equal bad days. Hard days will become good days that you grow. Hard days will become grow days. Things that get in the way of reverence and obedience is picking and choosing what we'll follow in the Bible. You know, you mean you could sit down and we could go through everything that Jesus commanded us to do. We could sit there and go through there. And you don't know how many times that there's something said in the Bible and somebody will say to me, well, I just don't believe that. Man, you know, if we start editing the Bible, then we aren't, we aren't showing reverence to a God that has authority over our lives. What we are doing is making ourselves God. By picking and choosing. You cannot have reverence and obedience without by picking and choosing. Um, Right along with that is doing things our way. Doing things our way. Well, I don't believe that. I'm going to go ahead and do that. You know, that, 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 that has no reverence and it has no obedience. And I will agree. I will agree wholeheartedly. That when Jesus said that, that search for the narrow trail for many look for it, but few find it for the way is hard and steep. Man, doing things God's way is the hard way, but it's a hard way that leads to good days, not hard ways that lead to bad days. And the third thing that gets in the way of reverence and obedience 
is self-glorification or self-justification of, you know, a, a lot of times when, when something good happens, man, we're like, look at what I accomplished, self-glorification. And then when something doesn't go our way, do you know how many times I've heard, why is God doing this to me? I, I, I don't know what to say to that. Man, even on the hard days, um, I, I, I try to thank God for, for giving me the strength to go through something because God is the ultimate horse trainer. He's never going to put us in a position that he doesn't give us the power through the Holy Spirit to get through. So if you're going through something, God will give you the strength to get through it. Now, it may, it may just, you know, kind of like lifting weights. It, it, it may be just like the last rep, but he's never going to let you go through something without him being there with you through it. Seven disciplines for a finished faith. Add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and, pers- and, and self-control perseverance. And to perseverance, add godliness, which is reverence and obedience. And to godliness, add mutual affection. This means loving your fellow believers. Loving your fellow believers. I tell this joke about once a year because it is my all-time favorite joke because of my profession. And uh, the, the joke goes something like this for our, for our new people. Yellow people are still required to laugh. And uh, anyway, there's a guy stranded on an island and he's been there for like you know, 20 years and, and he survived and then he sees a ship passing. So, you know, he lights the proverbial fire and, and sure enough, the ship stops and this rowboat comes out and this guy's just beside himself. He's been there for 20 years and they get out and he's just crying. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm finally rescued. I'm finally found. And they're like, how did you survive all of this? He said, well, you know, I built me a place to live. And they said, where is it? And he's like, right there. He's like, that's your house? He's like, yeah. He said, so that's all it had to take. He goes, no, man, not just my house, but, but see that deal over there? And he's like, yeah. And he said, they said, what is that? He said, that's where I go to church. And they said, you built a church out here. And he goes, yeah, my faith in God is the only thing that got me to this point today. And they're like, oh my gosh, you've got a house and you've got a church. What's that other deal over there? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of those that you laugh at. <laughs> So, I mean, how much do we have to really talk about that we're supposed to love the people that we're worshiping with? I mean, it's crazy that something so basic, here's the person sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you and those watching online and the others watching online. Man, those are our families, but sometimes families are hard to get along with. I think I'm that family member sometimes, you know, but what gets in the way of loving those that are supposed to be following the exact same trail that you do? I mean, aren't we supposed to be there for each other? Man, you know, we're supposed to be snubbing for somebody that's on a bronc for the first time. We don't ride their bronc for them, but we can snub for them. Man, we don't have to get on for them, but we we can dust them off. We can pick the thorns out of them. 
But yet it, it seems, I don't know what it is, but it seems like Christians just band together so that they can attack other Christians. And that is not what the Bible says to do. So why do we do it? Because of pride. Pride is, you know, I mean, being right is way less important than being together. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I have a hard, hard time with this sometimes. I have a hard time. You know, we, uh, we wanted to showcase what Save the Cowboy does on a weekly basis. At, at the urging of, of Ty's wife, Kathy, she said, man, y- y'all have, nobody knows what y'all are doing out there on a week to week basis. I was like, well, you know, we can't take everybody. So we bought one of these little drones in on whatever day that was. Was it Wednesday? Or Anyway, last week, um, we had six cowboys go out and gather this bull, right? And so I filmed it and uh, with the drone. I didn't crash it. And uh, anyway, I spent hours filming editing, making this video, and I put it on our Facebook page. And this one guy was like, well, I'm not trying to be a, well, he used a three-letter word that starts with A. Uh, He said, I'm not trying to be that, but I I thought it's funny that but was right after it. Uh, He said, y'all ain't cowboy enough that just two of you could go do it. Did I see the stitches in my tongue? Man, I wanted to reply to him and say, man, did you miss the point? I invited six people thinking that only maybe three could come. But when they found out the great thing that we were doing to help a neighbor, every single person I asked showed up. But you know what? You know what I said to that guy? Nothing. Kind of. It's not entirely true. I did say something and it was on the Facebook page for about 30 seconds. And then I deleted it because I knew I was right. But you know, squabbling Christians doesn't glorify God. Squabbling Christians doesn't glorify God. Being right is way less important than being together. Even when somebody has no idea what they're talking about. That's okay. His comment doesn't change what... Robert and Ty and Mitch and Sean and Jeremy and uh, uh, who who else was there? Who? Jace. Yeah, Jace Angus. I mean, it doesn't change that by any means. The other thing that gets in the way of mutual affection is hypocrisy. You know, one of my favorite sayings, and, and once again, it's one of my favorite sayings because it's so true, because everybody hates it when other people sin differently than they do, right? I mean, the Bible says if you, are, if you claim to be without sin, you are fooling yourself and God does not live within you. Now, that, that, that should break our hearts, not give us an excuse to continue to live in sin, right? But then you have people that says, well, the Bible says to, to, if you see a brother in sin, that you're supposed to point it out. Yes, I, 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 I'm not taking anything away from that. Paul talks about this much about doing that, of, of pointing out somebody else's sin. I mean, to the extent that he said, take it before the church, okay? But remember, what he's talking about is somebody that's within the church and, and, and like boasting about their sin and, 
you know, doing all of this stuff, not, not struggling with sin, but boasting about it. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Yes, Paul talked a little bit about pointing out somebody else's sin. But you know what? Jesus talked hundreds of times in various facets about loving each other. You know, Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye before you worry about a speck in somebody else's. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be there for our brothers. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be there for our pards. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to our, go, go to each other and, and try to lift each other up when we see somebody struggling. Okay, but there, there's a difference in somebody celebrating their sin and somebody struggling with sin. Man, let me tell you, I, I am, I am absolutely confident that if you say that the Holy Spirit is leading you to point out the sin in somebody else's life, then that comes with the responsibility of you sticking with them all the way through their struggle. You know, if you have somebody that, that's struggling with this or that, man, that, that includes bringing them into your home, maybe giving them a, a, the spare bedroom. You know, I don't think that Jesus ever said, all right, I'm gonna give some of you the spiritual gift of pointing your finger at people. But some people think that that's a real deal. Just going around, well, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing this and you're doing that. That is not what God said to do. And you better think long and hard before you go to point out somebody's sin because what God's calling you to do is point out that sin and then be there with them until they are absolutely done with it. So if you're not willing to do that, keep your mouth shut. If you need the King James version of that, keep ye mouth closed, if. <laughs> Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. To mutual affection, love. See, it's only when you get to that level does God give us the Alamar knot of a finished faith. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means we've gone through all the steps. And I know some of you are here for the first time or, you know, maybe watching for the first time and you're like, what, what's an Alamar knot? This came from the Western Horseman. One of the most interesting knots to become synonymous with the California Vaquero is the bridle, in the bridal horse culture is the Alamar knot. A purely decorative knot, it evolved into a symbol of a horse being in the bridle, meaning the horse had reached a level of training where he was comfortably working in the spade bit. The achievement between vaquero and horse could take up to 10 years of patient work, progressing through numerous training steps that did not rush the horse. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. The Alamar knot represents the legacy of taking the time that it takes that the slow means fast approach continues to be practiced today by many bridle horse aficionados, including the man that spoke before me. On special occasions to celebrate his horse's level of competency, the vaquero of old would take his finest horsehair macate and wrap it twice around the horse's neck and carefully tie the alamar knot with the two ends, making sure when finished, the ends were even. The Alamar knot that hung around a horse's necks symbolized a finished horse. And I think that what God wants us to do is to have a finished faith 
so that when we reach that love, and in the end, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. But you're not going to reach that love without mutual affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care what denomination, I don't care what affiliation. If you want love, you'll have to have mutual affection. If you want mutual affection, you're going to have to have godliness. And if you want godliness, you're going to have to have perseverance. And if you want perseverance, you're going to have to have self-control. And if you want self-control, you're going to have to have some knowledge. And if you want some knowledge, you're going to have to have some goodness. And if you want any goodness whatsoever, you are going to have to have faith taking the time that it takes. The slow means fast approach. You know, words filled with love are a campfire on a cold night, but a life filled with love is like a blazing sun for the whole world to see. Therefore, let your light shine so that others may see the goodness that is in Jesus Christ. And then in verse nine, Peter sums all of this up. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you think that God has called you to be one of his disciples, that he, if, if you are sitting here right now because you believe that there is a God, that is his calling. And his election means that Whenever you accept that calling that you become a disciple and a minister of God, each and every one of us. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.